Hello, everyone. I'm TJ. And I'm Aaron. And we're, we're the, the OK, OK Petunias. Petunias. And this week, we're coming to talk to you about episode two, sorry, season two, episode six, Big Daddy's Little Lady. Yes, One of Also, Big Daddy part two. That is correct. And do you have a summary for us, Aaron? I believe you wanted to get, I believe you crafted the exquisite summary that we have for you this week, so I'll let you take it from here. Yes. Uh, This episode, basically, it's Big Daddy hooks up with some gold digging hussy, and Dorothy shows that she's willing to put her hand up Rose's dress. And that's it. So thanks for joining us. See you next week, folks. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I think this is one of my, like, top, probably top 20 favorite episodes, because it is extremely funny. It, there's not a lot of like political commentary, but I think as with many of the episodes we've been dealing with in this cluster, I think it gets at some important interpersonal and interuterine <laughs> issues. Yes. Ha. But really, for in, by way of a real summary, uh, it's the episode where uh, Big Daddy returns for his second and I believe final appearance in the show. Appearance. Uh, to let Blanche know that he has uh, met the widow, widow Spencer, correct? <laughs> yes, and exactly <laughs> and, like that, the and, widow Spencer. The widow. <laughs> uh, and plans to marry her. And of course, Blanche is happy and says that she'd love to meet this woman and have a little wedding uh, for the two of them. Are they never, ever not hosting weddings in this house? No, that's why they do. It's always weird that all of their their relatives come to Miami to get married. It's a double whammy is what it is. <laughs> whammy, salami, nanny. <laughs> and that is the B-plot of the story uh, where uh, uh, Dorothy and Rose team up to write a uh, song for a song contest. Uh, they've asked f- f- people to write a new song for Miami. Right. And they'll get their picture taken with Anita Bryant, which yes. I want to talk about <laughs> Anita Bryant's uh, sideline in a moment. But as always, we want to talk about the moments we liked and there are a lot of them in yes, this as episode. As you can tell. I mean... For one thing, the betwixt moment when <laughs> to set the stage, you know, after the thrice, we had to just back up. So, yes, yes. As we, as Blanche and Dorothy are conducting well, their Rose and, and that's what I meant. Sorry, Rose and Blanche, Rose and Dorothy. Oh my God, what is wrong with me? This week? <laughs> Rose and Dorothy are doing their song contest, and they have a misfire with the M I A M I. Mm-hmm. It spells Miami Beach, but it does not, in fact. Yes. As- <laughs> Before we can even get there, we gotta go back. When they agree to do the songwriting contest, they talk about their various experiences writing songs, where Dorothy mentions that she used to write poetry. As many unattractive <laughs> girls do in high school. Of course. And that Rose wrote the fight song for her high school, Onward St. Olaf. <laughs> Comprised of the verses, Onward St. Olaf, Onward We Go. Onward, St. Olaf, St. Olaf's go. Go go go, 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 go. Which I have a question, go, go, you know, go. Does, I know we don't, we may not have a, I have questions, but shouldn't it be St. Olafians go? Like, it's yes. like, I have, that's my big question. Exactly, why St. Olaf's right. go, I don't get that, but hey. <laughs> it's Rose, so I guess it doesn't need to make sense. Exactly, but they team up because, as they point out, Dorothy can write lyrics as a, as a poet, and that Rose comes up with catchy tunes, but go, go, go is not exactly great lyrics. That is true. Uh, I mean, for St. Olaf, I think that's probably as close to Shakespeare as you're likely to get. Yeah, true. So then they have a couple of misfires, one of which is where they're singing M-I-A, another M-I, M-I-A, M-I spells Miami Beach. Girls. But then, as Blanche points out, it does not in fact spell Miami Beach, it spells Miami. Miami yes. So then Rose reprimands Dorothy for putting in the beach, and then... And then Dorothy says, well, you try to find something that rhymes with Miami hotshot, which, to be fair, Rose comes up with some good examples. Whammy, Mammy, 
Salami. And I'm sorry, I'm with Dorothy. I don't count these as good examples. I mean, Mammy and Whammy are. <laughs> it's my Ammy. Yeah, well, Whammy is still like a quasi rhyme. Yeah, it's like, but you're still missing it. It's not quite, it's like a slant rhyme type. Well, sure, maybe. It's yeah, not no. quite, it. but anyway. So, anyway, so, so not only do they have this misfire, mm-hmm. then they have another one where Rose adds in another lyric a repetition of the same lyric mm-hmm. which of course dorothy points out doesn't make any sense because the line says miami is nice so i'll say, say it, it twice. twice exactly but as rose i think also has another good point i'm in rose's corner here like she says that you know i'll say it thrice which is a word mm-hmm. as she rightly points out which i think that for rose that's a big deal but i'm with dorothy <laughs> who the hell says thrice <laughs> and then of course we get the, the, the lead in then of course to even more hilarity because mm-hmm. then Dorothy says so is in her uterine mm-hmm. but it does not belong into its song and then Rose composes Miami you're cuter than in her uterine which it is once again she has a point it mm-hmm. is I would assume and I feel like that should have been the episode title <laughs> <laughs> Miami you're cuter than an inner uterine so but the hilarious like the, I think this episode does a really good job of building on that very silly premise, but making a lot of really funny jokes out of it. Yes, because like not it doesn't stop there because then once Big Daddy shows up, Blanche says, "Come over here and sit betwixt us," mm-hmm. and Dorothy once again with incredulity says, "Betwixt," to which Rose then says. Yeah, see, that's another word you don't know. You probably don't know that the thrice of them are sitting on the couch together. <laughs> which, of course, is an incorrect use of thrice. Much like she didn't know the use of the word, like, <laughs> catharticism <laughs> down the line. But I say all of this because one of our first bonding moments as a couple was over the word betwixt. Yes. And so I feel like that was when I knew that you were the one for me whenever we started bantering about betwixt and sitting between the thrice of us. Like, that was the moment when I think our relationship really gelled. Exactly. It was love at first Golden Girls reference. Right. It was love at first betwixt. (laughs) So I think that this episode, you know, as far as doing this well, or what we really liked is the way that it takes this central premise of a song contest and really just runs with it exactly and makes it just it's sort of it's it could have been like more tangential to the central plot but it works really well with Mm. the central story of of blanche and her father and all that stuff exactly because the other uh the a plot for this episode with uh blanche and big daddy because it actually gets a little serious it's great that the b plot is just sort of this silly fun songwriting thing (laughs) and then it gives uh, B. Arthur and Betty White a chance to show off their musical chops mm-hmm. but in a way that's appropriate like right. it doesn't make sense for their characters for them to be actual phenomenal songwriters and performers but those two were talented singers and performers so they get to show that part off right of course you know as Ben has been revealed in behind the scenes stuff Betty White doesn't know how to play piano so that's all very fake but the exactly. rest of it is very like on point and as you say shows just how talented they are and of course B. Arthur was well known as a musical theater person. Mm-hmm. So I, I love when we get the chance for her to perform because I think it really sort of shows her versatility as an actress. And of course, you know, her withering remarks to Rose are pretty are pretty top notch when it comes to Dorothy witticisms. Yes. I mean, the inner uterine thing is arguably one of the most like... You know, it's iconic. It, it is one series. of the iconic moments <laughs> in the show. Like, it's one of those ones that anybody who's a fan can refer to the inner uterine thing <laughs> yes. and know exactly what they're talking about. So as far as commentary goes, I think that this episode does a lot of work to help, you know, elaborate as some of the episodes we've been talking about do on 
the contentious relationship that adult children have with their older parents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that resonates with me now more as I get to be almost Blanche. Well, let me put it this way. I'm the almost the age that Blanche pretends to to be. be. Exactly, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So my parents aren't quite as old as Big Daddy, who presumably is like... If not Sophia's age, like only slightly yeah, around, younger. You know, probably around there. Yeah, so, you know, my parents aren't that old. They're about in their 60s. My mom's birthday is today, so I'm birthday to my mother. But I do understand, like, the, 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 the mixed feelings that Blanche has about her father sort of undertaking relationships of which she doesn't approve. Exactly, and it's the nature of her disapproval that I think is, for me, the, the commentary that I want to talk about. Because when Big Daddy shows up and says that, you know, he's met the widow Spencer and wants, you know, to walk down the aisle with her, Blanche is incredibly excited. So her objection has nothing to do with the idea that, like, her father has just sort of decided to marry someone else or that this is like a replacement for her mother or anything like that. We dispense with all of that right away. Mm -hmm. That, you know, she's initially extremely happy that her father is making this decision to, you know, pursue love and all that kind of stuff. And then it's only when she actually meets Margaret Spencer from Atlanta (laughs) that she starts to question whether or not this is a good choice. Right, because, you know, at this point, Blanche is expecting presumably someone who looks like Sophia. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's looking like someone who looks like the widow Spencer. (laughs) But what shows up to the door is someone with hair that, like, looks like it came out of... A gumball machine. Mm, like, this, this gorgeous, you know, younger, red-headed woman shows up. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, let's talk about the hair for a minute. I, like, that is some flaming red hair. Yes. Like, it would put Maureen O'Hara to shame. Mm-hmm. And so, and of course, then as soon as Blanche recognizes who this is, thanks to Dorothy's, again, fantastically delivered <laughs> yes. remarks... This is, this is, uh, say hello to Big Mommy. Yes. Like, again, a brilliant Dorothy moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I. And that's followed by the whoa. <laughs> when the woman introduces herself to Dorothy, she's like, oh, wow. Yes. And so <laughs> it's quite understandable that Blanche would be a little taken aback about, you know, the relative youth of this young woman who is now going to be marrying someone probably at the very least twice her age, if not three times her age. (laughs) Which, I mean, I don't want to wade into the thorny minefield of age difference discourse. but but I do. (laughs) But I do think that, you know, that I'm not quite, I would, I would be similarly sympathetic to Blanche's point of view in this case. Exactly, and that's why I do want to get into this in the context of just this episode, because I think what I love about this episode is that it sort of ultimately sidesteps the question of whether or not these relationships are good, bad, or whatever, and just says, defaults back to people can, people fall in love with who they fall in love that's with. That's true. And that there, it really isn't anyone's business, right. as Rose points out. Uh, it isn't anybody's business. As long as, you know, they're adults and can and can make this decision, nobody else needs to weigh in. Right, and I must have a brief sidebar to talk about Ollie and Molly. <laughs> so Ollie Huff's Detlermeyer and Molly Jane Doe, I believe I've gotten the name. I, <laughs> as Dorothy says, oh God, I hope I got the names right. 
I have to give, once again, I'm giving Rose a lot of credit in this episode, and maybe that's because I am Rose, and so I feel this natural affinity toward her, but she has a St. Olaf story that actually is germane to the subject at hand, mm-hmm. and has a good point at the end, yeah. for all that Blanche can't recognize it. She's like, what the hell does this have to do with my father? But it's like, well, Ollie and Molly, <laughs> for all of their differences and difference in social status and so, so forth, worked out and lived happily ever after. It's no one else's concern how they live their lives which is a very like classically liberal point of view mm-hmm. and you know kind of refreshing because you know sometimes rose is a more traditional con- almost conservative point of view mm-hmm. you know see also her relate her commentary on dorothy's running around with a married man but here we see her sort of taking a more nuanced point of view and expressing that earthy wisdom that she does have every now and again which is kind of nice to see and i like how that's juxtaposed with dorothy's response who of course is the one who's by this point in the series is already the one who's known as the one who's a bit more modern thinking the free modern modern exactly the one that the girls sort of look to for insight for these kinds of Mm -hmm. things she's already established as that character and i like how she initially tries to do that right right like she goes you know what's the big deal you see you know uh older men with younger women all the time you know john derrick and ursula andrus John Derrick and um, who else? I forget. And then John, John Derrick, Derrick and Bo Derrick. Derrick. And then she goes, wait a minute, maybe it's, that company, it's just one guy. I mean, <laughs> I just need to put my own cards on the table that if I was a young woman in the 80s, I would have jaded John, Der- uh, mm-hmm. John Derrick because he was a very handsome man, even up into his old age. So I'm I mean, just saying. Exactly. But uh, but I like how she goes through all of that only to go, wait a minute, maybe it's not so common. It actually turns it into a joke. Right. But then comes back around and says, you know, it's like when uh, Blanche says something about those men looking ridiculous when they're out there she goes hey maybe they don't see it that way right but she's i mean dorothy herself seems to express some mixed emotions because then she's talking about like the guy with the the bypass scar or whatever Mm -hmm. it is where she clearly feels like a lot of personal quasi revulsion at this phenomenon which given dorothy's own backstory and the extent to which like stan and there's you know a significant age difference between stan and chrissy Mm -hmm. it makes sense that dorothy would have that kind of vexed that relationship yeah, but also that but it's also what just makes sense even if she didn't have that background it's like that's a pretty common view right. of that which i think that was her point is that it didn't really matter that that's how she saw it because like she says the guy doesn't care right <laughs> like he's out with you know he's out with this hot young woman he probably doesn't give a damn what other people think right <laughs> and i mean so it's very and of course blanche doesn't see any of this because for her the widow Spencer is indeed a gold digging hussy. Like mm-hmm. I, I love Rue's delivery. Like it's not hussy, it's hussy. Yeah, and what I love about that is, and why I think the show still counts as offering commentary on this as an issue. Uh, even though it does so subtly, is that Blanche makes that supposition mm-hmm. that of course she has to be a gold digger. Right. That could be the only reason, despite the fact that we've not talked about. It's always cagey what Blanche's family's wealth actually looks like, right. you know, how much is actually there. And there's never any discussion at all of the widow Spencer's background herself. Maybe she's loaded too. <laughs> I mean, that's my supposition. I mean, it's also like, you know, consistency and continuity obviously not being an issue for the Golden Girls. Presumably at some point, Big Daddy has regained the wealth he bargained out to become exactly. a country singer. Exactly. So presumably we're back at you know the well-established southern patriarch right. that he was i always like to just interpret that is that blanche was overreacting and, and overstating how much wealth was lost right so and i think that that you pinning down like the southern part of it is a key aspect of why 
Blanche is so distraught mm-hmm. because a key part of her Southern identity is a sense of pride. Yes. Much like George, she has a damn Southern pride mm-hmm. that really does kind of get in her own way sometimes. Yep. And we've already seen this a couple of different instances. I mean, we've seen it with her vexed relationship with Virginia. We've seen it and her antagonism toward basically all of her family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see it down the line with Clayton. Like for Blanche, pride goes hand in hand, not just with a fall, but also with like certain kinds of appearances like i have a feeling that if you scratch the surface her argument or her disagreement with big daddy's relationship with the widow spencer has little to do with like whether she actually thinks the widow spencer is a hussy or not but more about how this will reflect on the family's good name exactly because there's a certain as you rightly point out there's a certain sort of cultural understanding of what older men and younger women relationships convey and Mm -hmm. connote and i don't think that blanche would be very uh, she would not appreciate there being whispers at Big Daddy's funeral. Let's exactly. Put it that way. Exactly. And, so, and I, speaking of the Southern part, I mean, what I love about the Golden Girls, in Blanche in particular, is that she both caricatures Southern culture, but I think in a loving kind of mm-hmm. way. I mean, obviously, Southern culture is very fraught, especially from 2023, mm-hmm. um, in terms of its, you know the gone the wind aesthetic mm-hmm. but i do think that it captures a certain kind of southern person very accurately in the same way that designing women does yes um and i think that's not an accident that they come out at the same moment um and so i appreciate that you know we get these moments like when big daddy says aren't you as pretty as you know my ladybug son in itself on a lily pad (laughs) on a misty spring morning south of savannah yes which of course i love those moments we get them with clayton too where the the sort of overwrought similes Mm -hmm. are just sublime i mean they're ridiculous in the same way in the loving but ridiculous way in the same way this show kind of caricatures rose's midwest background (laughs) or dorothy's new york upbringing or sophia's sicilian upbringing Mm -hmm. and i think that beneath the caricature though there is truth there Mm -hmm. and i mean obviously i don't know the background of the the writers in this particular instance but there is a those read as authentic to me Mm -hmm. as well as they are very silly yes having spent my summers in the south all the time as a kid growing up it reminded me of the way that my mom's family my mom's from the south originally uh the way that they talk uh-huh and that much more just sort of flowery way of describing things and the sort of enthusiasm that comes with those kinds of descriptions of even ordinary things yeah right i mean it's also funny you know we get with big daddy that like sometimes we get a little bit of interaction with Sophia. Like, mm-hmm. is it me or did you get Sophia Loren as a roommate? Like, mm-hmm. it's funny to me, one, that they always use Sophia Loren as like a touchstone. I mean, between that and Gina Lola Brigida, those are the two sort of Italian actress touchstones yes. that this show uses a lot. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, we don't really get a lot of Sophia in this episode, which is, you know, kind of a shame. But I, you know, she's the one who sort of punctures that Southern floweriness yes. you know because that does that's not sophia's way of being in the world and she has very little patience with that kind mm-hmm. of like you know silliness exactly and one thing i was going to say uh, that i think that the episode handled well in terms of the conflict between blanche and her father is at the end when of course there has to be the ultimate reckoning mm-hmm. with the fact that you know big daddy is going to go ahead uh, and marry the woman that he loves and so blanche basically just has to get on board right and so she comes in to offer 
you know, in probably the best sort of apology we ever get from Blanche in an episode of the show where she tries to apologize and say that she's going to do her best to, uh, to accept that this is, woman is an important person in Big Daddy's life and so she offers her apology and uh, and she says, you know, just when, you know, I'm like, you know, I think you need me I'm like, I'm just trying to look out for you and he says, he offers a response to Blanche's sort of saying, you know, the just when I thought you needed to look after me, it turns out you don't. And instead of doing what I think would happen if this show were written today, he actually reaches out with an mm. olive branch of his own at that point. Instead of saying something like, well, yes, you have no right to weigh in on my life. It's my choice and you have to respect it or you won't be in my life in a sort of self-righteous sort of way. He just says, no, I do need you. I need your blessing on my marriage right. the, in a way that actually feels like honest in that situation more so than I think a more contemporary response even feels because when it's someone that you actually love like your daughter, right. you probably actually do feel like you need them mm -hmm. <laughs> to be okay with what's going on. And I love how the show acknowledges that. Right. And I love also the fact that, you know, the way that Big Daddy reaches her is by saying like, it's about in part two people who suffer grief finding a connection mm -hmm. and like finding solace in one another. Yeah. And I think it's just, I mean, it's also something that I think, even though it's not stated explicitly, I think would also resonate with Blanche because she's also lost someone, mm -hmm. George. Mm -hmm. So she knows what that pain is like. Yep. And so I think that that's, you know, one of the very rare moments in this show where I think Blanche shows some emotional maturity. And mm -hmm. as, you know, she goes on to say, as long as I don't have to hear about their amorous goings on, I think I can handle it. <laughs> Which, you know, I think is a pretty pretty big growth for Blanche as a person. Yep. So I think that, you know, I really appreciate as I do with so often that there are life lessons to the Golden Girls. And I think that your point about Big Daddy's response to this whole crisis is so different than the children's usual responses when their parents interfere. Mm -hmm. Like usually when it's, whether it's Michael or Janet or anyone else or Rebecca, anytime the, the parents express anything other than wholehearted support, they storm off. Exactly. Which, that's a story that transcends time. Because that's still, I can imagine that very much happening today. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I like that we see, like, the older generation being mm -hmm. a little more even-handed or even-keeled in this kind of, like, you know, admittedly difficult conversation. Exactly. Because what I love that that shows is that in that moment, Big Daddy is, is righteously, justifiably angry as he could be in this moment. He's still looking at this person and going, that's my child. Mm -hmm. And he does what parents do. He finds a way to reach out to protect her. Right. Because I guess that's just what you do when you're a parent. You're just so used to doing that. Right. And I really, really appreciate that. And I think that, you know, there are some life lessons to the Golden Girls that can be absorbed and taken to, uh, to heart by those mm -hmm. of us living in the present. Yep. Now, I do want to interject a brief, we have questions. Because I alluded at the top to Anita Bryant, which, I mean, by this point is already notorious as a homophobe. Mm -hmm. So it's curious to, I, I mean, I don't want to hold the Golden Girls to be like, but well, they shouldn't have even mentioned Anita Bryant. But it's just interesting to me mm -hmm. that, like, that's the sort of... Yeah, because was, wasn't she, like, a Miss Florida or something like that? And that's why... Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I understand, like, I understand in that sense why she would and be drawn on. Mm -hmm. But it's it's kind of surpri a little surprising to me that there isn't at least a pie joke somewhere. Yes. And, I mean, you know, I would have thought that after Dorothy and Bland or Dorothy Rose come in second, there would have at least been a pie joke somewhere. Mm, exactly. But alas... I, I like to think maybe it was just cut for time. Or right. Something. As I say, there, I can't imagine a writer's room not inserting a pie joke, you know, to... 
to lampoon Anita Bryant, particularly since down the line we get the other Anita Bryant joke with the gay caterer. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I love is that the the pie in the face that you keep referring to, of course, the real life pie in the face incident with Anita Bryant. That's literally all I ever knew about her as a child was that she was the lady that I hit in the face with a pie, and it was years before I ever understood why that happened. Right. And that, I mean, at least that gives us an opportunity to have them perform the truly sublime, mm-hmm. I have to say what I feel, mm-hmm. which I think is arguably the great, maybe the second best musical moment after the Henny Penny. Yes. Like, <laughs> I think that, that this ranks up there as number two when it comes to musical moments in the Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. So as our final segment, we wanted to just do our usual Coco We Hardly Knew You about Big Daddy, because first of all, I really... Yeah, Big Daddy number two. Big Daddy number two, which I want to start with that because... This is a very different Big Daddy than the one we have in the first season. Yes. So when we do that episode, we'll go out at more length. But it strikes me that, like, the first Big Daddy is the kind of rough around the edges, you know, drinks uh, two or three bourbons and has a cigar in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. He's the kind of guy I can imagine skimming a smart lawyer across yes. his pond. Yes, definitely. Or starting a fire from the bottom of a <laughs> stack of books. Mm-hmm. I can more imagine this Big Daddy saying, they're admitting who into my country club? <laughs> or some of the other more sort of genteel well, yes. things. I can imagine either of them having an affair with Big Man, or with Mammy, however. Exactly. <laughs> with Mamie. <laughs> no, I also love that if we're going to do the thing where we, you know, recast a role so it's different actors playing the same person and his audience, we're just supposed to accept it. I actually like the duality and the way that Blitch talks about her family in such different ways that we get these two different encapsulations of that. Right. I actually, I can make myself make sense of this, you know, re- the choice to recast. Right, because everything that. about this, you know, this iteration of Big Daddy, you know, from the suits to the way his hair is combed, like he has this real, like, you know, a sort of soft-spokenness with his Southern drawl that I think mm-hmm. reads as, you know, as I said, a little more genteel. I can imagine him being the sort of like, I can imagine him telling stories about Abraham and Moses. Yes. And all the other people on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the kind of true Southerner I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, whereas the other guy's kind of a, as we would say back home, a rip snorter, um, <laughs> as we would say in Appalachia. And what does that mean? <laughs> a rascal, an ordinary, an ordinary kind of person. Like, that's the kind of iteration I get with the first yes. Big Daddy. And now you get to know what rip snorter means. Mm-hmm. So... You know, to give you a little bit of context, this actor's name is David Wayne. Um, he was, you know, inducted into the actor's studio. He's one of the first group of actors who were inducted. Um, he was, you know, pretty well known around Hollywood. He had some supporting roles in, like, Adam's Rib. Arguably, his most notable role was in Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the version with Adam West, which is pretty fabulous, in which he played the, the Mad Hatter. So that would be very interesting to see, I think. Um so, you know, pretty well-established television character actor. And I, like I said, I really appreciate what he does with this role in the way that, you know, he captures so much of what makes Big Daddy so endearing from Blanche's perspective. Like, I can imagine, I can see now why Blanche has such a profound relationship with her father. Exactly. And I love that there's this sort of gentleness in his performance all the way throughout. Mm -hmm. So that even when he sort of asserts himself and is standing up to himself and putting Blanche back in her place, he doesn't have to raise his voice to do it. He just gets that slightly stern tone and that's enough. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, because he's like, you know... (laughs) You watch your mouth, young lady. Mm-hmm. Like, those things read as authentic to me. Um, exactly. And I can imagine a man of his generation, you know, just sort of not having, not feeling the necessity to raise one's voice. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you, 
it, you wouldn't need to because in in seeing Blanche's response to that, how she so immediately <laughs> is turns back into his little girl uh-huh. and is ready to listen and will do what, <laughs> what dad says again without having to resort to any sort of real dramatics mm-hmm. or anything like that i love that it shows that built-in family dynamic that way right and i mean as we close out here it strikes me like both of the title but also the thematic of this episode this is one of the very few times where we get a character's relationship with their father in the present mm-hmm. like we have sophia with her father in the past we see a couple of incidents with Dorothy with Sal. Mm-hmm. We don't get any, I don't think, with Rose and her father. Oh, I guess we do mm-hmm. with when Billy Barty. Oh, then when she finally meets. When she finally meets her father. But this is like one of the first, you know, one of the few incidents that's sort of extended and one of the few, the first ones that we get. Mm-hmm. And so I would kind of appreciate this opportunity to see Blanche engage with, you know, her parents as opposed to her sister because we've already known how confrontational she is with all of her siblings mm-hmm. except for um, Clayton. So, I don't know, I really like this episode, both as a sort of comedic touchstone, I mean, a musical touchstone, and also, like, a, you know, a good story about family and the fraught dynamics that families can sometimes entail. Exactly. It's got all the elements to make the Golden Girls wonderful. Yep. Well, it seems to me that's probably a good place to end. So, for the OK Petunias, I don't know why I adopted that weird Southern accent, but live with it. So, for the OK Petunias, I'm TJ. And I'm a little bit confused. Was that actually Southern? No, it was very weak. I'm sorry. (laughs) And I'm Aaron. And we will see you next week. Mm